I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Kramer, welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Coming to you from the beating heart of American invention and innovation. We're coming from one market in San Francisco. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. Boy, do I love doing it out here. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Or tweet me, yeah, Twitter, at Jim Kramer. Chaos Cast has almost become routine now. Whenever the president does something surprising we don't expect, or at least that we weren't prepared for, you have to ask yourself, what's impacted and what isn't? Today, with the Dow dipping 172 points, S&P declining 0.64%, NASDAQ caving 1.02%, we had to, had to go through the same exercise all over again. And the answer, plenty was impacted, and not in a positive way. Today, we discovered that Secretary of State Rex Tillerson is getting fired when President Trump tweeted, and I quote, Mike Pompeo, director of the CIA, will become our new secretary of state. He will do a fantastic job. Thank you to Rex Tillerson for his service, (laughs) end quote. Apparently, even Tillerson himself found out from that tweet. Okay, it's downright jarring, and it comes right on the heels of an incredible presidential decree last night that simply blocked the Singapore-based Broadcom from acquiring Qualcomm, no matter what including the fact that Broadcom is about to be American domiciled next month. The reason? National security. Fears that if Broadcom bought Qualcomm, our nation would surrender its lead in 5G wireless technology to the Chinese. That plus Mike Pompeo's strident talk about punishing China for stealing our intellectual property, not very diplomatic, sends shivers up the collective spine of many people who own stock in tech companies that do lots of business in the People's Republic. So what's impacted and what isn't? Did the weakness in tech make sense? Oh, yeah, it sure did. For example, if Broadcom can't purchase Qualcomm for national security reasons, does that mean Qualcomm won't be allowed to complete its acquisition of NXP Semi, a deal that's in front of the Chinese regulators right now? They haven't granted approval yet, will they? Qualcomm needs to buy NXP in order to lessen its dependence on cell phones. If that deal gets blocked, too, its stock's going to go even lower than the 5% it fell just today. How can Skyworks, you know we like Skyworks, Skyworks Solutions, a leading 5G chip maker with a ton of Chinese business, ever catch a takeover bid now? If that's why you're in it, I'd say take that off the table. What else is going to be off limits? Western Digital, Micron, maybe Corvo, or integrated device technology? Blocking the Broadcom-Qualcomm deal was not good for the tech stocks, even if it might be good if somehow it stops the Chinese from stealing our intellectual property. Although I think it was wrong to target Broadcom as a way to do so. What about our new Secretary of State, who's downright antagonistic toward China? Suppose the Chinese decide to retaliate. Applied Materials, what a fabulous company. It's on tonight. They've got an amazing relationship with the Chinese that helps pay for a lot of brilliant innovation it does in this country. And let's not forget that the biggest company on Earth 
Apple needs Chinese growth to maintain its own projections. But wait a second, wait a second, Let's take a step back. Every single one of these worries hit us in the morning as tech cooled after initial rally. However, by midday, people seem to forget those fears as many of these stocks rebounded like nothing had happened. Then later in the day, the fears returned and the stocks got slammed again and could not be resuscitated. I think it's worth pointing out that many of these sell-offs don't last very long, such as our attention span to what the Oval Office says and does and tweets. So what was right? The strong opening, the morning swoon, the midday rebound, or the late-day sell-off? Four sessions in one! Count them! Let's think about it. A week ago, we were terrified that the industrials would be rocked by retaliation to the president's steel and aluminum tariffs. So many experts worried that this was the beginning of a trade war, not just with China, but perhaps even with the whole world. Of course, maybe we've been in a trade war and just laying down the whole time. Then the president let it be known that he was talking to Larry Kudlow to take over as his chief economic advisor in the wake of Gary Cohn's departure. Larry, an old friend of mine from the four years we worked together on Kudlow and Kramer, is famously pro-free trade, although lately he's tempered his views about whether China's doing the right thing. The result? Those who sold many of the big international stocks with business in China quickly got seller's remorse as aggressive trade war suddenly seemed a little less likely if Larry gets the job. But on the other hand, Mike Pompeo, our new secretary of state, is hostile to China. So maybe we should be worried. Oh, man. What about how the president blocked the Qualcomm deal, causing so many tech stocks to get slammed? Maybe this tech pullback will turn out to be an overreaction and we'll kick ourselves for not buying the stocks that were sold in haste today. Sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sister, daughter, sister. Who can, you can't make this stuff up. Can we just take a step back for a moment? Can I take a step back without falling out? This? Yeah, can we take a step back for a moment? This is not a good way to invest, people. Your strategy should not change based on every other presidential tweet, even as we do have the company Twitter on the show tonight. Ooh, exciting. Yes, it's entirely possible that we'll get a real trade war with China, or at least that we'll fight back from one. You can freak out about that all you want to. Or you can say, what the heck? Broadcom's an aberration. Tillerson's gone because maybe the president didn't think he was doing a good job. We've known that for months. Perhaps he's better suited running Exxon like Gary Cohn would have been better suited running Goldman. Not that he's going to get that job. Succession plans have been made. David Solomon looks to be the next in line after Lloyd Blankfein. Instead of focusing on every little thing from the White House, how about evaluating companies on their own merits? too old-fashioned for you? Maybe don't stress too much about the tweets unless you want to invest in Twitter, which might be a pretty smart idea if you got the head slam today. How can you possibly own tech here? Look, there's China-oriented tech and non-China-oriented tech. You can have a smattering of both in a diversified portfolio, which you know I always preach. You know what? You can just ignore Chinese exposure completely. Buy shares in Alphabet or Netflix or Amazon, all high-growth companies that are not the least bit dependent on the PRC and whose stocks are coming down and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Well, it's happening. Or you can invest in the Cloud Kings we talked about just last night, Workday, VMware, Salesforce, Red Hat, ServiceNow, Adobe, Splunk. Chinese trade war won't stop their growth. It's too powerful. And not enough of their business is in China to hurt them. But more important than that, let's consider the other side of the trade. Suppose you only invested in the companies that President Trump has directly attacked in his tweets. First, he went after United Technologies for wanting to move a carrier plant to Mexico. Stock's up 23 points since then. Then he trashed Boeing for charging too much for those. Uh, new Air Force One, that $152 stock back then is going to 338 then he went after Lockheed Martin. Hey, you left 81 bucks on the table if you walked away from that one. No, I'm not saying you should ignore the president. His shift on trade matters. It can have a real and important impact on stocks, and it should. 
I am saying that if you have a diversified portfolio, some healthcare stocks, some banks, some consumer packaged goods stocks, some tech, you won't need to reposition every time a fickle administration changes its view. Oh, and the main reason none of this stuff particularly worries me, because love Trump or hate him, the president is very pro-stock market. Maybe too pro-stock market, if that's possible. For every uh, tough one on a tough, tough Twitter tweet, uh, anything he says that's tough on business, there's a countervailing story. And, and that calms things down. So first we get the tariffs, but then we hear that the president wants a free trader like Larry Kudlow to take over as his economic advisor, not a fair trader like Peter Navarro, who knows China's a cheater, who has really hurt the working person in this country. Remember, Trump sees the stock market as the older barometer of his job performance, which means the stocks go down too much. Well, he does something about it. So sure, the market headed down today on the presidential uncertainty, the Broadcom blocking the worries about Chinese retaliation, overall uncertainty. Still, if you're going to react to every gesture, to every comment, to every tweet this president makes, you're going to end up losing sight of the bigger picture. As much as the president wants to be tough on trade or on companies that take our jobs offshore, he wants the stock market to go higher even more. The bottom line, look, it's an unholy alliance. But judging by the stock market's trajectory since the election, it's one that favors the bulls, not the bears. Let's take some questions. Let's go to Sarah in Texas. Sarah. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. I love your show Booyah, and I really appreciate your Thank help. You. Thank I you. I bought Mattel at the end of 2016 and have watched it steadily go down. So with now. Toys R Us planning to liquidate its U.S. operations, do you think the stock price will ever come back? Uh, this is a really tough question because I always buy best of breed. And you've got Brian Golders Hasbro coming down, and I can't recommend Mattel on a takeover basis while its stock its fundamentals are still faltering. You're going to have to wait a quarter before I feel that Mattel's stock is bottomed. However, I think the bad news is rapidly coming into Hasbro's stock, or it would have been down much more today on a story that Toys R Us is having problems making some payments. Okay, how about we go to Chris in Illinois? Chris. Oh, yeah, Jim. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, oh man, thrilled to have you back. All right. Um, my question today is about Alibaba. Um, prior to today, you had recommended it on several times and then elaborated that it's one of the few, if only, Chinese stocks that you're recommending. Um, I heard Absolutely. your analysis on Talk on the Street this morning um, about the toughening stance that the U.S. is taking on China. Would that change tune, and should U.S. investors also change their minds for their money stake on Alibaba and Chinese stocks? It does not change my mind. It does say use a wide scale if you want to be in it. In other words, you want to start buying BABA today, right? Down four. May I suggest that you buy a little bit. Let's say you want to buy 200 shares. Just buy 50 tomorrow if it's down, okay? And scale down. And don't get aggressive. It's a down stock right now because of the noise. It will be an up stock because of the business. Don't let Washington's every gesture dictate your every investment move. As much as the president wants to be tough on trade, he wants the stock market to go higher. Don't miss out on opportunities because of some tweets. Oh, man, money tonight. Trump just announced a major cabinet shakeup on Twitter, virtually today. Tonight, I'm sitting down with the CFO of the new political pulpit to see what's ahead for the company. Then Square has rallied over 200%. It's a Dorsey night here over the past year alone. But the stock's recently been hit with fierce declines that could make your palms sweat. Has it been able to bounce back? I'm investigating. And my exclusive with the CEO of Applied Materials, you ask, I do. From smartphones, artificial intelligence, OLED. Is this behind-the-scenes tech stock the wise way to play the space? I suggest you stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Twitter has been streaming, and the stock has been flying, a conduit to the crossfire of the political whirlwind. Will this bluebird have its wings clipped, or can Twitter secure its place as America's second screen? While we're out here in San Francisco, we need to address the stunning turnaround at Twitter. For ages, the stock seemed like a social media also ran, doomed to forever disappoint investors who believed in the popularity of his platform. Uh, but then the company reported some spectacular numbers. And since the beginning of the new year, Twitter stock has become a juggernaut. It is a 42% year to date, even after today's $1.39 pullback. At a moment when Snap and Facebook are both overhauling their main platforms and generating some acrimony in the process, I should add, Twitter is reaping rewards from quietly tinkering with its site, improving it constantly, making it a more pleasant place to be that also happens to be profitable. Yet, Twitter got serious about purging the trolls and the bots, with the result that in the latest quarter, the company's average daily users increased by 12%. That's a stunning number. And they're doing a much better job of monetizing those users. So could today's weakness be a part of an overall tech route, I have to say, be a buying opportunity, this newly reinvigorated social media stock? Let's check in with Ned Siegel. He is Twitter's new chief financial officer. Find out more about this terrific turn and where his company's at. Mr. Siegel, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. This has been an amazing turnabout. And I think a lot of people didn't see it coming. Could you give me the bones of what happened here to make this stock double in no time flat? Well, a couple of years ago, when Jack came back to the company, he did a bunch of really important things. First, he got the company focused out about a hand, around a handful of really important priorities. We're much more clear now on what we are and what we aren't, and we invest in trying to help people find out what's happening in the world and help them be a part of the conversation before we tried to do too many things. Uh, we, with too many priorities, you end up executing uh, less well on all of them. Uh, we're a smaller team than we were a couple years ago, but we're much more focused and we've executed a lot better. And you are humble. I mean, when you talk about now, you say, listen, it turned out to be harder than we thought to get on. You talk about the billions of people who don't come today. It, there is a change in the narrative that is one of humility and a sense that we can do better every single day. We do feel a sense of humility. But we also know that everybody in the world could benefit from what happens on Twitter. Uh, today, uh, we've got 330 million monthly active users as of the end of the fourth quarter, and we grew our, our DAU uh, double digits for the fifth consecutive quarter. But we feel like everybody in the world can benefit from what's happening and what people are talking about on Twitter. So there's still a lot of work in front of us. Okay, well, you say today you've got that. Well, obviously, I have to talk about what happened today. Rex Tillerson, who was one of the most powerful CEOs in the world and became Secretary of State, learned that he was fired today on Twitter. Uh, did you ever think that this medium, when you worked at Goldman Sachs, I would, go, would become the way that a president would actually break news and even fire people? Yeah, I, I didn't. I bet you didn't either. No, it, no, it, 
<laughs> when I see Jim Cramer's got a million followers on Twitter and, and all the news that breaks on Twitter every day, I'm blown away. It's a lot of what attracted me to the company, a sense of mission that this is where people go to find out what's happening in the world. And it's where people go to break news as well. Well, I mean, it does seem when you talk about a billion that after today's kind of tweet and of course, of course, the tweets can be longer now, too. It, it, it seems like it would be impossible not to read Twitter. I, I, that is my view, that that could be the case. I hope you're right. Uh, but we also know that there's a lot that we have to do to surface the right content for you. So we should know what you're looking for before you, before you know. There could be breaking news about something that's happening close to you or something that's important to you but far away. Uh, and we should be telling you about it and making it highly relevant to you. We've made a ton of progress on the onboarding process right. and in the timeline to do that, but there's still a lot more work to do. How come I don't have as many trolls and hate, bot and hate bots in my million followers? What did you do? Well, we're always working hard to improve the health of the platform. Right. Jack's been talking a lot more about it recently. He yes. actually did a live broadcast on uh, Periscope last week to talk more about it. Uh, the work will never be finished, but it's something that we've been doing for some time, just working to make sure that we can have as constructive and safe a dialogue for those that should be there as possible. Which is a bigger opportunity, your amazing engagement in video or all the data that can be used for anybody, any company, to be able to figure out where their business is going. Well, they really feed into each other. Video is a big part of the overall strategy. If we want to help you know what's happening in the world that you might care about, and if we want to help you share what's important to you, uh, video is going to be a big component of it, whether it's live video and it's user-generated content or it's content from a, uh, somebody who owns content and wants to get it in front of more people. That's just going to be one of the important ways that uh, people share what's on their minds or find out what's happening uh, in the world. Uh, similarly, it's part of creating the data that we then are able to sell to companies. One of the great things about our data business is we don't have to decide what the business models are for these companies. Right. We give them access to our data and they build great businesses around it. Yeah, they really do. I, I have seen it myself. I look at the street. We were deciding, you know what? We ought to give a 30 second snippet rather than a whole thing. Boom. They, they onboard to YouTube. It is rather amazing. What, one thing I do have to say, though, is not everybody is as coherent about this. Is there a way to make it so everybody can learn about how great Twitter could be for their business? Better than you do it now. How great Twitter can be, be for, for their own business. I feel like some of it's just too much trial and error. Sure. That there have been courses where other people have blazed that I just want to know what they're doing. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do there. If you think about it, there are millions of small businesses, just well, as one example, that are on Twitter. And local is such a great use case for Twitter. If you want to know in San Francisco if there was an earthquake, the way to find out about it is on Twitter. If you want to hear about the Giants or the Warriors and you want to interact with the players or find out what Draymond's mom is saying, you go to Twitter and you're a part of the conversation and you can tweet back. Um, that's a, uh, uh, we've got all these local businesses that are on Twitter, but they're not advertising on Twitter the way that they might on other platforms, mostly because we just haven't made it easy for them. Uh, we've done a lot of work there recently to create a subscription product for them so that they can advertise easier on Twitter, but there's still a lot of work to do to yeah. get more of them on Twitter. And I, can tell, I think that subscription product is a great idea. Now, your predecessor, an old friend of mine, Anthony Noto, he and I would always talk about, I said, I want more sports, more sports, more sports. I want baseball, but I also want high school lacrosse. I want what's going on in major leagues, in soccer, in Turin. Can all this happen? Uh, it, it definitely can happen. Anthony was a great advocate for our live business and a terrific leader at Twitter. And uh, we're sorry to see him go, but really happy to see him in a role that he's excited about at SoFi. Uh, the live business, all that content you're describing is a critical part of uh, helping people find out what's happening in the world and being a part of the conversation. But it doesn't always have to be happening on Twitter. 
so often we have the conversation even if we don't have the content. And when we do have the content, uh, people can be a part of the conversation, they're engaged longer, and we get complimentary eyeballs for the content owners, and we get ad dollars that we probably didn't have access to otherwise. Well, I know you came from Goldman. You have a, a great reputation there. It sounds like that this one, this is an opportunity that at this point is much bigger than what you might have even thought of just five years ago. We, we have such a big opportunity, Jim. We think about all the people in the world that don't use Twitter yet, and the work that we're doing to make Twitter great for the people who are on it should benefit everybody else, too, as we do a better job of getting it in more people's hands. Well, I think people should recognize that this one is the way the president communicates, but it's also the way billions of other people can communicate. That's Ned Siegel, CFO of Twitter, TWTR. You know I'm a supporter of the stock. I just think this company has got a lot more room to grow. Stay with me. red-hot momentum stock loses its mojo, it can be pretty terrifying. Something that's been soaring can come back to earth just as rapidly when things start to go wrong. That makes it all the more impressive when a momentum stock can arrest its decline and rebound to new highs all over again. So while we're here in San Francisco, it's worth addressing Square, the payment technology company that can turn any smartphone or tablet into a credit card reader. This stock, which we have been behind since 12 bucks, has been on an insane bull run, rallying more than 200% over the past year. Talk about stunning. But what really sets Square apart is its ability to bounce back. Resilience. Not once, but twice in the last four months, this stock has been hit with fierce declines that made you want to tear. Well, I mean, I know I got this haircut too short, probably. Well, I tear something out. Let's leave it like that. Both times it seemed like the beginning of the end for Square, and both times the stock managed to turn things around, coming back with a vengeance. How does Square do it? Well, on the one hand, this is a very well-run company with a terrific platform. But on the other hand, it's also become a cryptocurrency story. Last November, Square CEO Jack Dorsey, who is also is the CEO of Twitter, the only guy I know who treats being a chief executive as part, a part-time job, talked about how the company was developing a pilot program to accept Bitcoin. Suddenly, everyone started acting like Square was a cryptocurrency play, and the stock surged to new highs. Uh, of course, then Bitcoin started selling off hard, and Square came down with it. When Bitcoin bounced, Square bounced. To me, this is a ridiculous linkage. Square has enough going for it that it doesn't need this tenuous connection to cryptocurrencies to power its stock to new highs. I think the best thing they could do would be to figure out a way to decouple from Bitcoin, which is incredibly volatile and really has very little to do with the core business that we've got going here with Square. But before we get into the cryptomaniac side of things, There goes the hate mail. You need to understand what makes Square so special in the first place. The very real, very legitimate reasons why this stock has been so strong and so resilient, besides the fact that Jack's done a great job. Square really began to take off around the beginning of last year. Ever since the company came public in 2015, investors have been worried about nascent competition in the payment space. They figured Square's little payment business, which includes both their credit, their card reader and their cash transfer for, for platform, more than that in a second, would never be able to go toe to toe with the likes of Apple Pay or PayPal. Who'd even need a credit card reader when you can just use your smartphone as a credit card? 
Turns out the competition wasn't all that dire. Apple Pay hasn't done badly, but it's far from becoming a new standard, let alone replacing plastic. Facebook's peer-to-peer payment experiment, eh, not, uh, it's called a dud, all right? And while Pay- PayPal's Venmo has shown some impressive growth, it hasn't been enough to stop Square or make it irrelevant. The truth is this company has found its place in the payments industry, and they're not just surviving, they are thriving. In fact, last August, Square did something incredible. They reported a profit, a profit much sooner than anyone expected. The company's been mixing its lucrative high-margin subscription services that it offers to small businesses with healthy transaction growth, and the combination has made the stock incredibly attractive. Now, Square is expected to earn about 45 cents per share this year. Whoa! Man, that is hyper-oxygenated growth, which is amazing when you consider that, say, uh, 12 months ago, this was a revenue growth story where potential earnings seem to be in the distant, distant future. The company has reported blowout quarter after blowout quarter, and each time Square shoots the lights out, its stock justifiably goes flying. That's a major reason why over the past six months alone, Square stock has nearly doubled. But there's another aspect of the story that makes it more complicated. Not long after the company delivered yet another amazing quarter in November, Forbes reported that Square was testing Bitcoin purchases in its Square Cash app, which is a lot like PayPal's Venmo platform. Remember, at the time, everybody was salivating over these cryptocurrencies, so the idea that Square might start accepting Bitcoin got many investors and tons of speculators, more importantly, very excited. Square's fabulous chief financial officer and former star at Goldman Sachs, Sarah Fryer, came on our show and offered some context. Take a look. I think it behooves us to always know where are payments going. When we develop products at Square, we spend a lot of time listening to what our customers want and what we heard from individuals. So this isn't sellers asking to accept Bitcoin. This is individuals using Square Cash to make payments. Individuals saying, we want an easy way to buy and sell Bitcoin. However, Jack Dorsey, the CEO, has, has been uh, more aggressive about promoting the idea that Square wants to give merchants a way to accept and even trade Bitcoin. So basically, if the cryptocurrency revolution is real, then Square wants to be a part of that. It want to be part of what their customers want. But if not, they don't lose much by running a pilot program. In short, it's not that big a deal. But since they announced this right at the height of crypto mania, when Bitcoin was around 7,000 on its way to a peak of around 19,000 a month later, It created a lot of irrational exuberance in the stock. Suddenly, Square and Bitcoin were joined at the hip. Over the next seven trading days, the stock surged from 39 to nearly 48 as Bitcoin continued to roar higher. The problem is Bitcoin was having a parabolic move. And after it peaked in December, plunging from 19,000 back to around 6,000 at its lows, Square got slammed right along with it, even though there was only a minor connection to the real numbers. To many people, too many people had bought the stock for some theoretical Bitcoin linkage. And they quickly became sellers. By the end of December, Square stock had plunged back to 34, five bucks below where it was when they made the Bitcoin announcement in the first place. Then the stock started making a comeback. The fundamentals were still fabulous. And once the crypto maniacs had been washed out, the stock could rally again and rally more soundly. But then on January 31st, Jack Dorsey sends out a tweet telling people that instant buying and selling of Bitcoin was now available on Square's cash app. The stock surged back to just under 47. Irrational exuberance again. Now, maybe that was just bad timing, as this is when the market-wide sell-off really got going. But by the bottom of February 9th, Square was back to 39 bucks. 
wears you out, doesn't it? Since then, of course, the stock has caught fire once again. It ran up 25% in the two weeks between the lows and its next earnings report, which was yet another blowout. And because the numbers are so great, the analysts push this stock aggressively whenever it comes down. That makes perfect sense. I mean, the company's forecasting 37% revenue growth this year with accelerating earnings. Hey, that is an amazing story. The stock's latest leg higher, though, came last week when an outfit called Kryptona cited an interview that Dorsey had done with Barron's the previous weekend and speculated that there was more Square could be doing with Bitcoin in the future. So the stock pops 10% on that news. And that is not what I want to see. It's not sustainable. Here's where I come down. I adore Square. It's got fabulous fundamentals, a great long-term growth story. What I don't adore is how the CEO got overly promotional about using Square's platform to trade Bitcoin. And now the stock has all these irrational moves that scare investors away. I think it would be smart for the company to play down this connection. On the other hand, uh, all of this volatility in Square has given you two amazing opportunities to buy the stock in the weakness. So if Jack Dorsey wants to keep flogging the cryptocurrency connection, you might get another chance to buy the stock into unjustified weakness. Maybe it's $1.36 pullback today will continue, and that would be a godsend. The bottom line, when you buy a stock, make sure you're owning it for the right reasons, please. Square has some fabulous technology and even better numbers. Maybe someday the Bitcoin connection will have a material impact on the business. But until then, remember that when this stock sells off based on volatility in cryptocurrencies, that's a reason to buy Square, not to dump it. Let's take some calls. Let's go to George in South Carolina. George. Hey, Jim. How are you today? I am Jim, good. I, How about you, George? I bought, I bought Fiserv, symbol F-I-S-V, a financial services technology and account processing firm, when you introduced the firm to us about two and a half years ago. Since yes. then, it's up 45%. What I'd like to know is, with the market volatility in 2018, will the volatility act as a catalyst for the price? Should I buy more? Um, it is a fin, we call a fintech story, which is financial technology. Anytime the banks are weak, the money comes into this one. No need to buy more because it's, it's uh, you know, frankly, it, it's had a breathtaking move on the bottom. But, you know, when these pullbacks, it's OK. It's what people want to own. Let's go to Phil, my home state of New Jersey. Phil. Booyah, Dr. Cr- to, to the doctor of economics, Professor Kramer, with your knowledge, you should well, be on the economic council for Donald Trump. You got my pick. Well, I, 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 you're very nice. I'm a little more humble. I, I took economics, but I'm not an economist, even though Alexis says I am uh, when I asked her. So go ahead. What's up? OK, I purchased MasterCard back in February 2016, and it's had such a great ride. I really hate trimming from this company because they've, they've been doing so good. Should I keep it going or should I just cut? I don't want you to trim. As a matter of fact, I added this to the bullpen for ActionAlertsPlus.com club members. AJ Bong is doing a remarkable job. It hit an all-time high today. If it pulls back, I I swear I I would actually buy more. This is one of the best companies I have ever seen in terms of how it's run and its possibilities. All right. Bounce, 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 bounce. Square's ability to rebound is just remarkable. This stock's a buy in any Bitcoin-related pullback. Much more mad money had, including my exclusive with the CEO of Applied Materials. How is this company positioning itself for the new U.S.-China tech rivalry? Then, Trump's Broadcom move changes everything? I'll tell you how it could impact this market and your portfolio. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's system, the lightning round. So stick with Kramer.
fabulous semiconductor rally got derailed today after the president blocked Broadcom's attempt to buy Qualcomm. But let's not forget that the demand for chips remains off the charts. Semiconductors are a tremendous growth story, and nothing the White House says or can do will change that. Consider the case of Applied Materials, the huge semiconductor capital equipment maker, which reported a phenomenal quarter a month ago, ignited the stock. Since then, the news from this space has only gotten better, and AMAT has soared, even if it pulled back a bit from its all-time high today. Can it keep climbing? Earlier today, I got a chance to sit down with Gary Dickerson, the rigorous and thoughtful CEO of Applied Materials. Take a look. Gary, you have the pulse like no other. And I love the way you start your conversations. This is an incredibly exciting time in the electronics industry because we are at the start of a new era of growth. A lot of people feel we're near the end and that the cycle has peaked. It's not a cycle and it hasn't peaked. No, Jim, you're absolutely right. The war for AI leadership and big data is really the biggest battle of our lifetime. If you look at what we're seeing today for our business, uh, data generation, all of the smart devices in the world, the amount of data uh, that needs to be stored, the processing of that data, the communication with 5G, all of those things were really in the top of the first inning. And, and transportation is going to be disrupted. Uh, healthcare, entertainment, our homes, all parts of our lives are going to change in the next decade by far bigger than anything you and I have ever seen. Well, let's just talk voice for a second. Absolutely. Everyone's getting into voice. And uh, do people realize how much more silicon there is in voice than in their PC? Well, there's 30 chips in your voice assistant. When you're talking to your voice assistant at home, there are 30 chips in that device. And again, you have to process that information. You have to store that information. Uh, so already we're seeing those, those types of changes. Just, again, the first inning of those changes in our lives. Okay, if it's the first inning, uh, is it because people, their heads can't get around the idea of self-driving cars and they think they're just out there? I mean, are people not understanding what artificial intelligence means? Why is, why are, can our brains just not comprehend it or are some brains comprehending it and therefore have a first mover advantage? Well, it's super important to have a first mover advantage. You know, people still remember the PC, Jim. Right. You have a PC on your desktop and you wait for the operating system. Then we came out with mobile social media Media. Right. Everybody has a camera in their pocket. You talk about a data center in their pockets. So you have OLED displays, you have image sensors, you have applications processors, you have communication chips, you have memory to store all of that information. So this, ever since this device came out with billions of users, very pervasive, our business has been going continually up since 2010. So if you go forward in the future, Transportation is going to change. Healthcare, all of these, every part of our lives, Jim, are going to change in fundamental ways that nobody can even understand today. And that's worth trillions, trillions of dollars. I've seen estimates, $10 trillion of economic value over the next decade. Now, you, you've got to be in. You can't be left behind. At the same time, we hear things, let's say, about China. Uh, Broadcom, uh, not allowed to buy Qualcomm. You probably have, of the companies I deal with, the best relationship of any company with China. Can that be somehow cut off by politics? Well, so we've been in China for 34 years, very long history. Last year, we did close to $3 billion in revenue. And, and what I would say is it's, it's also very important for all, for, certainly for applied materials, but for many companies. $3 billion, the profit from the $3 billion generates jobs in the United States. And, and 
this accelerating these technology trends, the investment opportunity there is huge. So we need the money to reinvest in R&D. Now, I personally, I'm a big believer in fair trade. We have to have fair trade. That's important. But China is very important opportunity for the global economy. Now, if they're committing, say, $31.5 billion for the uh, China Integrated Circuit Industry Investment Fund, that's not against you. That's with you. Absolutely. It's mostly, Jim, in trailing technologies. So we're, they're doing the sensor technologies, Internet of Things, and all of those, those trailing geometries. It will be a decade or more for them to continue to improve the level of the technology. So all the profit that's coming from China... We're able to take that profit and reinvest that in technology leadership and jobs in the United States. Okay, let, let's go over something that is typical that I hear. Uh, flash has peaked. You, we don't need flash. Or, you know, you mentioned OLED, that OLED is not blowing out the numbers for Apple. These are short-term ways to look at it, right? Oh, there's no question, Jim. Again, you're talking about trillions of dollars of economic value. When you talk about autonomous vehicles, the opportunity, transportation is going to fundamentally change in the next decade. You see, even in the next couple of years, you're going to have 12 platforms with all of the autonomous vehicle capability out there in the automotive industry. These companies know electronic vehicles and autonomous vehicles are going to totally transform that industry. Every car, autonomous vehicle, generates four terabytes of data per day. Okay, versus, say, my car right now. Yeah, it's... it's, it's my car, which seems like it's filled <laughs> with technology. Oh, it's, it's a huge difference, Jim. It's a tremendous difference, at least 10 times different in terms of the level of investment that you have when you go to this future where transportation is fundamentally going to change. And that's just one thing. When you think about mobile social right. media, in the future, this device, and people will generate 1% of the data. When you think about... Transportation and healthcare, uh, our, our assistance at home, right. smart homes, smart devices, everything. One percent will come from these devices. Well, I, mean, I think the problem is we can't see it. Now we didn't get down we to your facility, it. but perhaps you have brought your facility <laughs> with you. Absolutely, Jim. So we have a, a virtual reality uh, experience here for you today. So our technology center. Uh, here in Silicon Valley is the most advanced in the world. So now you're seeing uh, the, the products that create every chip in the world, the most advanced displays in the world. And Jim, what's important is the speed of innovation. So when I talk to investors... It's a, breathless. <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. Speed of innovation. I'm watching the speed as we talk. I, it's mesmerizing. Yeah, you know, creating all of those materials that enable these big inflections. I ask investors... What is it worth to have the winning AI chip 12 months faster? People tell me between 20 and 100 billion dollars. So See, it, this innovation, Jim, it's going to change our lives in fundamental ways, bigger than anyone can get their arms around today. And the technology center that we have here in Silicon Valley, sometime right. I really want you to come and oh, see I, this. Oh, no, no, this is, I mean, see, I look at this and I think, okay, so the headlines, Hawk Tan not allowed to buy Qualcomm. And I'm thinking if I get trapped into that and I sell the stock of a company like Applied Materials, I'm selling the future. I want to buy the future. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely, Jim. This year, what we said, all of our segments, we're going to have double-digit revenue growth. I said strong double-digit revenue growth. And that's more than the, you said even a year ago. <laughs> across the entire company. But if you look at the future, Jim, the magnitude of the changes in our lives are dramatically bigger. This device, we have had continuous growth since 2010. What's coming next is an order of magnitude bigger. And I'm seeing, that's why I'm talking to Gary Dickerson. He's president and CEO of Applied Materials, AMAT, which is in breakout mode, as it should be, a terrific company and a fabulous stock. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Jim. (laughs) It's so good. It is time. It's time for a special company for San Francisco Light Around Man Money. That's where I think it holds right by you saying it's not there. Bye bye. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate down to the lightning round. Great job. I'm James Pennsylvania. James. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Not bad. How about you, James? Good, good. My question to you is about Disney stock. Now, with them coming out with their own streaming service, do you think it will go as high their stock price is as Netflix is once they take off I their think No, I, 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 I think patience is required because of the Fox deal. But here's what I have to say about Disney. It ain't going away. It's going to get strong. But don't look at it every day. It, that, it requires patience. Brian in Illinois. Brian. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. Quick question. I bought Thank you. 300 Thank shares you. of restoration hardware for my daughter, Lily. Did I do the right thing? Yes, you did. And Gary Freeman's doing the right thing. You may have to buy 200 a little bit lower when it, if it gets there. But wow, Gary, what an operator. Let's go to uh, Ron in Pennsylvania. Ron. Hey, thanks for taking my call. And then uh, all the Eagle fans in Ringtown, Pennsylvania. My stock is Immunogen, I-M-G-N. It's made too much of a move. It's up real big, 52-week high. We got to wait for a pullback. And by the way, I like Regeneron again. And I'm going to Cy in Florida, Cy. Brilliant, Jim. Hey, the other day you talked about all the chip makers. What about AMD? I think it's still right here, but Lisa Sue is doing a great job. Don't forget, she's going up against NVIDIA and Intel. That's not easy competition. And that, ladies and gentlemen, including of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. I know a lot of people were stunned when the president fired Secretary of State Rex Tillerson via tweet this morning. But I was a little more surprised when the White House blocked Broadcom's takeover of Qualcomm last night by fiat, pretty much in order to prevent intellectual property theft by the Chinese. What made this so shocking? For starters, Broadcom's not even a Chinese company. The CEO, Hock Tan, he's an American. And the Singapore-based Broadcom is moving back to the United States at President Trump's own urging next month. Tan himself was born in Malaysia, not China, and he's been a U.S. citizen for more than 20 years. Guys worked at PepsiCo, General Motors, Commodore. Yeah, Commodore, the first real personal computer company based outside of Philly. While Broadcom's nominally headquartered in Singapore, it's actually run out of San Jose. In truth, it never left. Remember, before it acquired the old Broadcom, this company was known as Avago, and Avago shifted its headquarters to Singapore as part of a tax inversion deal. Basically, they were trying to avoid our then onerous corporate taxes. Now, though, the company's in the process of officially moving its headquarters back to where it's been uh, in San, Diego, San Jose. It's been in San Jose all along. In fact, only a few months ago, the president praised Hoktan for making that move. The fact is, though, even though Broadcom's not Chinese, more than half of its sales come from China. 
So you could argue that last night's presidential decree blocking the largest tech takeover ever has some logic to it. The administration may think that Broadcom's too close to China, which is why they don't want them acquiring one of the leading purveyors of wireless technology, 5G, not just in America, but on Earth. Perhaps more important, I think it's all of a piece with last week's tariffs on aluminum and steel. The White House is taking a much tougher line on China when it comes to dumping raw materials on our markets and, maybe more important, stealing our intellectual property. As regular viewers know, I agree we need to take a tougher line with the Chinese. But some of these moves are downright confusing. If Canada buys its steel from China, then that steel can't come here? But if it's made in Canada, it's fine. If Broadcom's got less than 50 percent of sales from China, would the Qualcomm deal have been OK? If Hoktan were born in America and not Malaysia, would the deal have gone through? Qualcomm is now deemed a precious asset. Is there such an asset? Is the designation precious? Now, of course, you could argue that the president was simply backing up the Treasury Department's uh, Committee on Foreign Investments in the U.S., which already said this deal was a big no-no. The message this administration is sending to all American companies and Silicon Valley in particular is kind of odd. Do too much business in China? We're going to presume you're Chinese. Of course, this may just be one of those situations where hard cases make bad law, meaning it's, it's an exceptional situation that shouldn't set much of a precedent. But all the same, I suspect we've seen the high watermark for tech takeovers, at least where the acquirer does a lot of business in China. And most tech companies do a lot of business in China. More important, the Trump White House basically just declared China an official pariah in both name and deed. And that's the main reason the Nasdaq got hammered today. The message here is that this administration doesn't want China's business and it doesn't want China's money. That is a big deal, a lot bigger than people realize until perhaps today. We've got a bonafide tech sell-off today based on what's happened with Broadcom in China. May I suggest you consider Applied Materials and Twitter stock. Both of them have got a lot of things going for them. Both of them are going to be coming down. They are logical places to go. As you heard on the show just today, they have great fundamentals. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find just for you right here man money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. See you then.